You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Thursday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. Today is going to be Herd Mentality on the podcast, the episode each week where you take control of the discussion by sending in your questions, comments, takes, concerns, whatever you have, and I respond to it here on the podcast. Now, today will not be the only episode of Herd Mentality that you're going to get this week. I have so much to get into based on the amount of questions that were sent in that I'm going to do it today and again on Saturday. And so today's episode will focus a lot on the more immediate pressing talking points, things coming out of the Tennessee game and things along those lines where on Saturday I will get to the more big picture questions that aren't quite as time sensitive. So just a lot to get to this week. Let's take advantage of the bye week and get a bunch of discussion in here for you. So we'll have two episodes of herd mentality. So if I responded to you and you don't hear your item today, it's probably going to come on Saturday. And of course, tomorrow on the podcast is going to be Bruce Nolan from the Bruce exclusive podcast. We're going to talk state of the Buffalo bills defense at the bye week. So it's a great opportunity to make sure that you are subscribed. Let's get started. First one comes from Michael. Michael says, if you remove Derrick Henry's long touchdown, which was 76 yards, and the other 20-yard run, the Bills held him to 37 yards on 18 carries, which is 2.6 yards per carry, which is quite successful if you ask me. Do you think that the pass rush was so anemic due to the game plan being to just stop Henry in exchange for not getting at the quarterback? With Tennessee's 20 sacks coming against them entering the game, from watching the game, it sure seemed to be the case. Would like your thoughts and how that could influence the game plans moving forward. Michael, the first thing that I would say is don't do this. Don't do this thing where you try to take away the big plays that were made to make it look like the Bills did a better job than they actually did. The fact is, those plays happened and they count. And you can't say that you contained a player or you bottled them up when you conceded a 76-yard touchdown and two additional touchdowns on top of that, in addition to other explosive plays. Derrick Henry's impact on the game was obvious. He made an impact in a big way. The reason Tannehill had time is because of the presence of Henry and the linebackers having to play more downhill and recover if it's a pass. Other teams were able to sack Ryan Tannehill with Derrick Henry in the lineup. The Bills didn't do either thing. They didn't sack Tannehill. They didn't stop Derrick Henry. And so I simply can't just accept that if you take away the big plays, then the Bills did a good job against Henry. I, I just I just don't think that's sound process whatsoever. Those plays mattered. They counted. And the Bills did not do a good job in those instances. And that's part of the deal. That's part of the deal is containing players that means you didn't allow them to make explosive plays, which Derrick Henry did. So that's kind of my thoughts on what you presented there. And there really shouldn't be a correlation between 
your defensive linemen being able to play good run defense and that prohibiting them from rushing the passer. There's no correlation there. You should be able to do both effectively. The next one today comes from Matt, also very similar to one sent in by Vin. Matt says, there is blame to go around from the D to the offensive line to Josh missing a couple throws on early possessions. But to me, that's a coaching loss. Just from the inactives, McDermott completely shuffled the deck on the defensive line personnel, and they had no rhythm, couldn't close out pressures, and got dominated in the trenches. Hopefully the best players play going forward, and Mario snaps go to Epinesa and Boogie. Let's hope this stings bad for a couple weeks, and they get hot out of the bye like they did last year. Go Bills. So I don't disagree with your idea that McDermott miscalculated the inactives. He's commented on it, and clearly they wanted to get F.A. Obata in the lineup. I didn't agree with the decision to go with Epinesa inactive in this game. And on the podcast on Monday, I discussed how keeping four special teams-only linebackers in Matikiewicz, Tyrell Dotson, Andre Smith, and A.J. Klein over Epinesa was a mistake especially when you consider that Andre Smith had two massively impactful penalties called against him on special teams plays. So you factor that in, and you also consider that the pass rush wasn't good enough, and I think it's fair to say that Coach McDermott made a mistake not dressing Epinesa and doing that so that you can have that fourth special teams-only linebacker. I think that was a miscalculation. Next one comes from Joe. Joe says, is there a magical reason as to why we didn't take advantage of the Titans' dwindling corners? It always seemed like our receivers were open, and yet we kept going back to running the football on second and long. At least that's how it felt in the first half. It always felt like a wasted down when the Titans had problems covering. Also, if you have time, can you help settle the debate on who the best Edmonds brother is? Thanks for all you do. Great listen every morning, even when it's a loss that stings that much. Thank you, Joe. I, I appreciate you saying that. Losses are not easy to discuss, but they're very meaningful conversations, and I really appreciate everyone who makes time for the Lockdown Bills podcast, even in weeks where the Bills are not coming off of a win. But as for the notion that the Bills didn't do enough to take advantage of a depleted Tennessee Titans cornerback situation, I would argue that they did. I mean, Josh Allen had 47 passing attempts. That's the third most he's ever had in a game for his career. He had 353 passing yards. That's the sixth most in his career. And the Bills only ran the ball 13 times with running backs in the game. And so I would argue against your notion that the Bills didn't do enough to take advantage of the Titans' cornerbacks. Um, I do share in your frustration with the second and long runs. I think that's been more of a thing this year than it was last year, and I do agree that it's not my favorite thing that the Bills do. I mean, if it's second and long, just throw the ball. And I'm not saying throw the ball to try to convert 13 yards or 11 yards or 10 yards, but try to get half of it back. You know, <laughs> set yourself up for a better chance at a third down and I think the best way to do that is by throwing the football, not trying to get two yards or three yards on a cloud of dust uh, as your way to make it a more manageable third down situation. As for the best Edmonds brother, it is by far Tremaine. I don't think that's actually 
a very close debate. So whoever you're talking to there, um, I, I just would be surprised to hear that anybody believes that Terrell Edmonds is the better Edmonds brother when it comes to football. Matt says, I would like to know the PFF grades for the linemen in the Titans game. Felt like both sides got dominated with the defense not getting a sack or many meaningful tackles for loss, especially after they lost Taylor Luan in the first half. On the other side, it seemed like the offensive line gave Josh enough time most of the time, but the Titans got to him in big spots. So here are the lineman grades for the Bills in the Titans game. And as a reminder, above 70 is what you're looking for. Uh, That's the starter quality type grades. If it's below a 60, that means it's a replacement level grade. So on the offensive line, Deion Dawkins, 74. John Feliciano, 64.8. Mitch Morse, 56.5. Daryl Williams, 76.1. And Spencer Brown, 51.3. On the defensive line, Jerry Hughes, 72. Mario Addison, 84.7. Greg Rousseau, 49.7. F.A. Obata, 34.9. Ed Oliver, 62.9. Starla Tulele, 39, Harrison Phillips, 56.6, and Justin Zimmer, 63.1. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com, a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and right in your pocket, so stop settling for whatever parts that the person behind the counter orders on their computer, choosing the only brand that their warehouse happens to carry. Save time and save money when using rockauto.com. Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck, Make sure you write Locked On in there. How did you hear about us, box so they know that we sent you? They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need over at rockauto.com. Have you ever tried to scoop that last bit of salsa out of a bowl and right at the last pivotal moment, the chip breaks, the chip disappears into the salsa, your hand plunges deeper into the bowl, and you're left with the dreaded salsa knuckles. When you're stressing about whether or not we should go for it on a fourth down, it's the last thing you need. Well, I have a solution for you. Zach's Mighty Tortilla Chips. They know that the purpose of a tortilla chip is to successfully deliver dips from the bowl to your mouth in one delicious piece. Their chips are sturdy, corny, and live to keep your knuckles clean. That's because their chips are cut and fried from real tortillas, while most chips on the shelf skip that step. On top of that, their delicious Flint corn is organically grown in the Buffalo, Rochester area. So pick up a bag at your local Wegmans or Whole Foods Market today and say no to weak and crappy tortilla chips forever. Next one today comes from Harry who says, Joe, the Tuesday pod is why I listen. No hyperbolic takes or grand overreactions. As you said, We got sucked into the Titans game script the moment we started 0-2 in the red zone. Then the first down sack on the second-to-last drive was a killer. Josh needs to find Sweeney in the flat in that spot. My only long-term take is related to Jerry Hughes. I'm concerned about the lack of production, only a half sack on the season. What do you see? 
Well, I think when it comes to Jerry Hughes, it continues to be more pressure than he does get sacks, right? Like he wins his battles quite often. He just doesn't do a good enough job of converting pressure into sacks. And he's still playing a ton. Among the Bills' defensive ends, he has played by far the most snaps. And as far as that breakdown goes, Jerry Hughes has played 211 snaps, Greg Rousseau 188, Addison 157, Epinesa 122, Obata 69, and Basham 52. Now, Hughes leads the team in pressures, but he also leads the team when it comes to defensive ends in the amount of snaps played. And so what I'd be interested in doing was playing Hughes less, but allowing him to be on the field more on passing downs and make run defense less of what he does. And so I think the Bills can do a better job of using some of their younger players on early downs and having Jerry Hughes play less snaps, but hopefully make him more effective when he is on the field because he's more fresh. And so I think Jerry Hughes can still help this football team, but I want to see him play less, but more on passing down so that he's more fresh, if that makes sense. Paul says, I'm particularly disappointed that the quarterback sneak was not straight ahead, but instead a sidestep to the left towards the Titans' most capable defensive lineman. Also, I agree that the long ball missed throws drive was Josh still not taking profits and wanting to quick kill. I don't want to continue to hear he needs to make smarter choices. I want to see growth in this area consistently. All right, so a few things to respond to here. I would agree with you that he needed to go straight ahead with the quarterback sneak and follow Mitch Morse instead of taking a step back, gathering himself, and going to the left. He needed to just go right behind Mitch Morse. I agree with you on that. I do agree that there have been times this season where he has chased the big play instead of just taking profits. I think the second-to-last drive of the game was a good example of that against Tennessee. I think the Pittsburgh game was a good example of that happening too frequently. But we loved it against Kansas City, right? We loved it when he hit those big plays against the Chiefs. And so I think Josh has taken major steps in this area. I mean, it's far less frequent of an issue as it's been in the past, and it's been more successful this year than it ever has in the past. And so it's a tough needle to thread. I mean, finding that balance for sure can be challenging, but we certainly feel it a lot more because his overall weaknesses have declined, and so we're just kind of focusing in on these minor details that are still left to to iron out, and they stand out a bit more, and I think we feel them a bit more than we did in the past when it was just part of a longer list of things that he needs to clean up. And overall with Josh, I mean, I think he played well against Tennessee. I really don't have any disappointments in his performance, but whether it was the quarterback sneak and not going straight ahead, whether it was missing some opportunities in the red zone, not just when Emmanuel Sanders was wide open, but on the throw to Diggs that was right at about the goal line, you know, came off the off of Josh Allen's hand weird and fell short of Steph Diggs when that was an opportunity to score a touchdown as well. So Josh played really well overall, but within the, the entirety of the game, there were definitely a handful of moments that he was just off. And whether it was decision-making when it comes to looking for some deeper throws or not going the right direction on the quarterback sneak, or it was just 
missing that throw to Diggs that should have been a touchdown, he had some moments in this game that cost the team a lot, but you also have to factor in all of the plays that he did make to accumulate over 350 passing yards, three touchdowns, and you know overall a very efficient game offensively. The next one today comes from Don who says, Devin Singletary seemed to have a lot of fire to him in this game. They claimed to go with the hot hand, but every time Moss got the ball against Tennessee, it seemed like a wasted play. I understand he's an important part in keeping Josh Allen clean, but still, thanks and go Bills. On a side note, my seven-year-old son Grady scored four touchdowns for the Bulldogs on Saturday. So let's start there. Congrats, Grady, on a great game. Four touchdowns. It sounds like you would have been a good player to have in the lineup for somebody's fantasy football team. But, uh, hey, congrats on a great performance. Now, when it comes to the Bills and Zach Moss getting the majority of the opportunities instead of Devin Singletary, I would agree with you that Singletary seemed to be the player in this game that had the hot hand. He had some very inspired runs early, and you just saw the guy go out there and compete. You can tell he wanted every inch on the field, and I would have tapped into that more. I agree with you, and on a per-touch basis, obviously Devin Singletary has outperformed Zach Moss on the season, but in particular against Tennessee. So I would agree with you that Devin Singletary deserved more opportunities than Zach Moss in that football game. The next one today comes from Burnt, who says, could be purely anecdotal, but it feels like the Titans offense is such a poor matchup for the Bills. Big physical receivers, pretty decent athlete at quarterback, and of course, Derrick Henry. Just feels to me like it's a perfect formula to beat a McDermott slash Frazier defense. It's hard to argue against that, to be honest with you. I mean, in 2020, the Titans scored 42 points on the Bills, which is the most they've given up since the start of 2019. And the Bills have been exceptional on defense this year, except for three bad quarters against the Titans on Monday night. And so this combination of Tannehill, physical receivers, and Derrick Henry has been a tough matchup for the Buffalo Bills. I'll say this, though. I think if the Bills played Tennessee 10 times this year, they win seven or eight of them. So tough matchup, but I think it's a game that the Bills can win, should win, and will win in the future if they meet up. So you guys have heard me talk all about betonline.ag and how it's a great place to bet on football games, whether that's pro or college. And it still is, right? It's an awesome place to go place your bets. It is the number one spot to do so. But don't sleep on basketball. The season is underway, and you can bet on all the NBA action, whether it's a game line or a player prop. Head on over to betonline.ag and get in on the fun. And look, if you head over there today and check out their new updated site, you can receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use our promo code locked on. Betting on sports at betonline.ag is simply the fastest and easiest way to bet on everything. If it's basketball, football, baseball, NHL, boxing, UFC, Vegas casino games, they have it all. So Head over to betonline.ag on your desktop or on your mobile device and get in on the fun because BetOnline is where the game starts. The next one today comes from Jimmy who says, 
I've never been one to blame officiating for a loss, and I'm not going to start today. But we can agree that throughout all of the NFL season, the officiating has become atrocious, right? I mean, they are genuinely making each game about them. And last night on each call, it took almost three minutes to decide what they were doing. It really does pull away from the enjoyment of a game in those moments. Yeah, I don't like over-officiated football. I cannot stand it. Nobody watches football games because of referees. We want the least amount of referee involvement as possible. And whether it was the long discussions in the Bills-Titans game or how about the Jags and Dolphins? You guys watch that on Sunday morning, 9.30 a.m., start over in London. And uh, it felt like there were so many different calls that took them forever to decide on, and they would throw the flag and discuss the penalty, and then the guy in the Dolphins-Jaguars game would come on to the microphone and say, after discussion on the field, we are not going to call a penalty there, or whatever he would say. But the point remains that football is becoming over-officiated, and nobody likes it. If there are clear and obvious penalties that occur on a play that impact the result of that play and gave the team that committed the penalty an unfair advantage based on the rules, throw your flags. But the ticky-tack stuff, swallow your whistle. Keep the flag in your pocket. Nobody likes to see it. And I hate that we're conditioned as fans to be hesitant to cheer for a good play because you're worried about a flag being called. You're worried that it's going to get taken away. I mean, I find myself in that spot. The Bills score a touchdown before I even react and high-five the people that are with me. I'm making sure there's no flag. Football is becoming over-officiated, and I don't think there's a single person who likes that. We should not be celebritizing NFL officials. We watch the game for the players. Let's make it about players and not referees. The next one today comes from Paul, who says, I agree with the fourth and short call to try to put the team in position to win the game. What I don't agree with is the play call. It seems to me they called the quarterback sneak with a blocking scheme that was designed to pick up just the half a yard needed for the first down. Why not call a blocking scheme designed to pick up the two yards for a touchdown? My thought is that if they ran the type that type of play, falling short could have still picked up the first down. It looked like they were only going for the first down and did not even consider the opportunity for a chance at a touchdown had the play even worked. You know, Paul, I think that's probably a fair criticism. Even myself in the moment, I wanted them to go for it while I was watching the game, and I was really thinking more about the first down than the touchdown. And obviously with the play not working and the Bills losing the game, it really opens up that creativity in your mind to consider these different things that didn't happen and that if they did happen, maybe you do win the game. And since they didn't win the game, we could find ourselves, you know, really digging into our imaginations and and considering things that may have been a better idea. And given how close they were to the end zone, maybe it would have been a better idea to run a play that was more designed to score as opposed to just get a half a yard for a first down. And so maybe you could kill two birds with one stone there and you know space out the defense a little bit differently 
to give yourself a better chance. And so at the time, all I wanted was a quarterback sneak from Josh Allen, and I was going to live with the result. And with the benefit of hindsight and maybe a fair criticism that in the time there should have been more imagination, that it's a good criticism that you have here. You know, I think about the two-point conversion play that the Bills ran, the Dawson Knox throw to Josh Allen. And I know that Dawson Knox broke his hand and he wasn't available at that juncture of the game, but that's the type of play maybe where it was time to break out that play for that moment. And the two-point conversion at the time was extremely important. So I, I understand going with it, but having something else like that for that moment, you know, certainly sounds like a good idea right now. But I will admit that at the time, the only thing I wanted to see was Josh Allen and a quarterback sneak. And, um, you know, so I definitely fell victim to kind of being boxed in as well. The next one here today comes from Eric, who says, please comment on the Titans attempt at recreating the Music City miracle. Should we as Bills fans be hating the Titans more than any other team for the disrespectful slap in the face? Um. I mean, I definitely felt some type of way when they did that, and I think we all had a similar thought that they were trying to recreate that moment. And I guess once you strip away your allegiance to the Bills and you just consider what they did, I understand it. I think it's smart. If they would have successfully thrown the ball backwards, it was a significant gain that they could have had. And so we can be triggered because they did this, or you can take a – step back and consider the possibilities if they would have executed the play and realized that it was a good play for them. And so the criticism here maybe should be directed towards the Bills for not being more prepared for those possibilities and defended it better. They were fortunate. It was a forward pass, and it didn't count. But if they executed it correctly, it would have given them significantly better field position on the play. So... Um, from a Titans perspective, I think they attempted something that helped their chances of winning the game, and I don't think you should criticize teams for doing that. So I understand the emotional piece of it and being triggered and annoyed with what they did, but at the end of the day, if they would have pulled it off, it would have been a good play that would help them win a football game. So it's hard to be mad at a team doing something that increases their chances of winning. And so I think when you strip it back a little bit, you can understand why they did it. But I also understand being triggered. I want to close out today's podcast with Daniel's submission. And Daniel said, tough one last night, but I want to tell you that you are the only voice I want to hear after a loss. I don't want to watch ESPN or NFL Network. It hurts, but you break it down well and are honest and I need to hear it. So thank you. Here is my inner optimistic take that I'd love your thoughts on. The Bills' defense played a bad football game. The return teams made bad mistakes. Offense could not convert in the red zone. Overall, the Bills played a rough game, but is there something to be said for coming within six inches of a win against one of the better playoff teams in the AFC, even on a night where there is overall bad football being played? Obviously no moral victories, but even in our down games, we still have enough talent to keep it close. And Daniel, I think that's a good perspective. Part of what makes losses challenging is all of the narratives and thoughts and discussion that comes from it. There's a massive tendency to overreact and lose perspective. 
I still think the Bills are the best team in the NFL. I still think the Bills have a really good chance of winning the Super Bowl this year. The Bills were 4-2 and two last year. And think about that team. Think about that 4-2 and two Bills team last year. Literally the only thing they did well was throw the football. Couldn't run it, couldn't play defense. 4-2. and two. Finished 13-3, and three, went to the AFC Championship game. This is a markedly better football team through six games in 2021 than it was in 2020. So let's keep perspective on what this team is, what this team has, and how difficult they are to beat. I think the Bills needed to go through some of this, have some losses, work through some adversity, bounce back, rally together. There's no clearer evidence than what this team looked like in week one with all the hype and how they played. So I think this team needed to be humbled a little bit. No, I wouldn't root for losses. No, I'm not glad they lost football games, but it's all part of the journey. And there is a large sample size of football that exists out there that tells you how important it is to peak at the right time as a football team and to go on runs and to correct issues. And so I'm not panicking over a couple of losses within the first six games of the season that I think there's a lot to learn and improve from. This team's going places. And I have not honestly enjoyed the aftermath of this loss because of the narratives and panic that has come along the way. I know this fan base has been through a lot. I'm part of it. I've been through it with you. But this team doesn't have to pay for the sins of Dick Duran's teams or Mike Malarkey's teams or Greg Williams or Rex Ryan. It's a new day in Buffalo. It's been a new day in Buffalo. So let's enjoy this football team. It's going places. And everything you thought the Bills could achieve when the season started is still 100% in reach. And I'm very excited about the completeness of this football team and watching it go on a run. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. Tomorrow, Bruce Nolan and I are going to discuss the state of the Bills defense, and then make sure you come back on Saturday because I'm giving you a Saturday podcast again this week. It's going to be the second episode of Herd Mentality this week. A lot of great stuff already lined up, so make sure you don't miss any of it. Hit that subscribe button. Would love it if you took a second to rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great day, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.